Hi, I'm Pastor Dallas Billington, Senior Pastor here at City Church, and we want to welcome you today to our services. We hope that no matter what you're facing in life, that through the message today, through God's Word, He will truly encourage your heart. Let's open our service in a word of prayer. Holy Father God, we thank you that we can be in your house today, Lord. We thank you for your love, God, for your salvation for what you've given us, Lord. Oh, Lord, what you've given us, we could never repay you, God. But the glory is we don't have to, Lord, that you gave it out of love. Lord, as we open your word, Lord, may we discover, Lord, the power that you have given us, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Joe Rolino was a pretty incredible man. He lived to be 104 years old. Uh, he was known all around New York as being the world's strongest man. He would have numerous people piled on him, and he would lift them up. He would lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds with his teeth or with one finger. But his greatest demonstration of power and strength came on a small island in the Pacific during World War II. As him and his company were under attack, many of his fellow soldiers were getting wounded. And he looked around and he thought, I've got to get them back to the medical tent. I've got to get them to help. And so he thought, he thought, well, I'm, I'm the world's strongest man. I'm just going to carry him. And eyewitnesses said that he would go on the battlefield and he'd begin to pick up soldiers. And he would take four at a time and he would walk them back to safety. As he did this, shrapnel was hitting him. Bullets were flying over his head. Eyewitnesses said he did this several times and saved many men's lives. He won many medals of bravery. Joe Rolino was not only a hero, but he had a special power within him. You know, as believers in Christ, you and I have a power within us. And it's a power that... It isn't always doing something extraordinary like that. But that power gives us what we need in our lives when we need it. Sometimes that power comes through in words. Sometimes that power comes through in financial things or health. But we have a special power that God has given us. We see this on display in Acts chapter 3. A little bit of background here in Acts 3. So Peter and John were, were going to the temple... Now, if you know anything about the temple in that time, it was kind of the hub of activity. So many things were going on around the temple. You had commerce going around. You had people coming in and out. There was always a crowd of people at the temple. And so as Peter and John were going into the temple, there was a man that would sit there. He was a, a paralyzed man, and uh, undoubtedly people would give him money and food and help him out. And he'd been paralyzed his whole life. People knew him. Everyone knew him. And as Peter and John were going into the temple, through the power of God, they healed this man. And here this man who'd been paralyzed his whole life, he gets up and he, he starts to walk and he starts to run. And people all around him see this and they're amazed because they knew this man. They had seen him their whole life. And so Peter, not wasting an opportunity, he begins to see the crowd of people that gathered around. And he begins to teach the people. He begins to tell them how this miracle happened. He begins to talk about the resurrection. When God does a miracle in our lives, 
Take that opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. Take that opportunity when God does something special in your life and that coworker says, well, how in the world did that ever happen? How did that ever work out? Use that time to tell them about Jesus. Use that time to tell them about how God opened a door for you. What a powerful testimony that can be. In Acts chapter 4, we see now that man has been healed and the religious leaders get involved. You know, anytime you see in the Bible when it says the religious leaders come into the picture, something bad's probably going to happen. And so in Acts chapter 4, we see, and as they spake unto the people, as Peter and John talked to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. For it was now evening tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men was, number of men was about 5,000 that believed. So the religious leaders were, they were disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people. You know, religion and faith can be two very different things, can't they? Religious leaders, they wanted to control the people. They wanted to look down at the people. They wanted to put themselves on a higher plane than anybody else. In the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about these people. And he says in verse 13, he says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Jesus calls these people hypocrites for their actions and what they do. You know, many people try to weaponize religion. They try to use it as a, as a vehicle of control, and that's what the religious leaders would do. But you see, it's not religion that saves us. It's God's grace. It's our faith. You say, does the Bible say that? Yes, it does. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. You see, we are saved not through religion. We are saved by the grace of God, sending his son into the world to die for the sins of the world, to rise again. And our faith that we have in him, we're saved by grace through faith. Their goal was to stop anyone from talking about Jesus. Their goal was to shut the people up. But the amazing thing was, it says that 5,000 men, and if you look at that, it also talks about in other passages that there's the families of those men as well. So there could be 10,000 people that came to belief in Christ through this one miracle because it just went like wildfire throughout Israel at that time. Many, many people came to Christ. And many people today, we see the same thing. Many people want to stop the message of Christ in the world. 60% more people were martyred for Christ this year than the previous year. But you know, the amazing thing about that is when the church is under the most opposition, it grows the greatest. Look at the first century. Look at what happened when the, in the disciples' time and all that they went through. The church grew rapidly. It went all around the known world at that time. 
because of one thing, because Jesus is the truth. See, there's a lot of falsehoods. There's a lot of lies in the world. And eventually one thing will be standing and that'll be the truth. And Jesus Christ, there are 2,000 years, we've, no one has ever disproven the Bible. No one has ever disproven Jesus because he is the truth. And that truth stands as a rock and will continue to stand forever and ever. In verse 5, we go on, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? So the religious leaders, they, they all get together. All the big shots get together. And they drag Peter and John in. And they start to question them. They said, well, you know, we know that you did this uh, for this man. And we want to know, by what name did you heal this man? And so we see Peter's response in verse 8. He says, And Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto them and all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which ye have set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. So this verse, in one of the translations says that Peter lets loose. I prefer that translation. Ever let loose on somebody? I have. And Peter, Peter lets loose here. By the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon him, all of a sudden Peter starts telling all these high-ranking religious leaders. Peter starts letting them know how things really are. You see, we have a power just like that. And sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we think that we have to do it all on our own. But yet God says, you don't have to do it all on your own. I'm there. I'm with you. I'm there to help you. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. You see, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us as a guide. We have a power inside of us that can lead us, that gives us the things and the words to say, even when we don't have the words to say. Going back to when I was about 25 or 26, somewhere around there, Joy was going in, we're taking her into the hospital, and normally we would just direct admit her. You know, the doctors, she, they knew exactly what to do. We would hardly ever go through emergency because time was of the essence. And, but this particular time, we had to go through emergency. There was a number of things going on. And so when we get to emergency, it's absolutely packed with people. And the nurse said, she said, it's going to be several hours uh, at least until we can see you. 
And being the time was of the essence, I, I went up to the, the desk and I started to talk to the head nurse and I started to tell her about my wife's condition and all of a sudden I'm talking to her about all these medical terms and different things like that and she stops me and she says, bring her up here, we'll get her right in. And so I went back to Joy and I said, they're going to take you right now. She said, what did you say to them? I said, I have no idea what I said to them. God gave me the words to say. And I, I know that to this day. I don't know what I was saying. God gave me the words to say. He brought it out of me. The words I didn't have. And he brought it out of me because I needed his help. And he gave me those words and he gave me that help. And I know there's been times in your life when you can say the same thing that God gave me what to say. God gave me what to do. I don't know how it got done. But he gave me the power to do it. So Peter has this power and Peter begins to speak with such eloquence. He begins to speak with such logic and uh, they were talking to the religious leaders and Peter says, you, you drug us in here today because we showed kindness and healed a person. You know, society, a lot of people in society get mad when you talk about Jesus, don't they? They get upset when you mention Jesus. And I think about that. You think about what Jesus stood for. Uh, how dare you uh, get offended by someone who brought love into the world, by someone who brought kindness into the world, by someone who brought hope into the world, by someone who brought salvation into the world. How dare you get offended? If you've got a problem with love, if you've got a problem with kindness and hope and goodness and salvation, then you've got a problem. Jesus brought those things into the world, and Peter says, he is the one who brought love into the world, but yet he's the one that was crucified. He's the one that God raised from the dead, and he's the one. He's the one that was the stone that you threw out. But yet he became the most important stone. In verse 11, it says that Jesus became the cornerstone. Now, that's important to talk about. You see, the cornerstone in building is very important, especially back then. What would happen is the stone workers would, they would find a perfect stone and they would craft it just like they needed it. And that would be the stone that would start the structure being built. And they would lay that stone and they would get it just right. And they had to get it just right and had to be just perfect or the whole building was going to be off. Years ago, I was building a house and I was with the builder and we were walking through the lot and the lot was kind of uh, uniquely shaped. And I remember him saying, he's like, we have to find this corner stake and we have to stake this corner and it has to be right on the money. And once we get that right on the money, we can go ahead and stake the rest of the house. We'll know exactly where it goes. But it's so critical to get that first stake, that first stone set right. And so Jesus, the stone that the religious leaders had thrown away, that they didn't want to use, he became the most important stone in all of our faith. He's the stone that our faith is built on. He's the son of God. He lived a perfect life. He's the one that we build our faith on, our hope on, everything on Jesus Christ. He is the corner stone. 
And it tells us in verse 12 that not only is Jesus the cornerstone, but that he is the only way to salvation. You know, today we hear a lot of things, and we hear even pastors talk about that there's, there's many ways to salvation. We hear people say that. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the way, the only way to the Father. He's the only way to salvation because he is the only one that lived a perfect life and was the perfect sacrifice and was the perfect stone to build our faith on. Verse 13, we see our story continuing. It says, now when they, uh, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, here the Pharisees looking down, always loving to look down on people and act like they were the ones that were the most intelligent. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing right in front of them, they could say nothing against it. What an amazing passage of Scripture. So they, they look at Peter and John and they say, well, you know, they never studied under a famous rabbi. They, they were with Jesus, but uh, they never studied with one of us. Uh, they, they weren't, they're not educated. What do they know? And Peter and John are speaking with such amazing logic such amazing words that they're, that they're blown away, these religious leaders, these men who had studied the Old Testament, who knew it backward and forward. They memorized the Old Testament. They were the ones that interpreted the law. They were the ones when there were issues of the law that came up. They were the judges. They knew it in their head, but they didn't know it in their heart. And Peter and John come and they, they speak with such great eloquence. They speak with such... Amazing words that the religious leaders are blown away. But they had a problem. Religious leaders had a problem because the man that had been healed, the guy everybody knew, he's standing right in front of them. And guess what? He's, he's in perfect health. They had a problem. What are they going to do with this man? How are they going to fix this problem? And so in verse 15, they said, but... When they had commanded them to go aside out of the consul, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. The religious leaders said, Everybody knows this actually happened. We can't hide it. We can't fake it. We can't deny it. You see, one of the things that they would do is they would, when something would come up like this, they would try to manipulate the situation. Uh, what they would do is they would try to say that something, it never happened that way. They would lie about things. Because remember, they wanted to keep the control. They didn't want anybody to take any of their control or their power. So they would lie and they would make up stories. And, but they, they were having a trouble right now because the proof was right in front of them. There's a, there's a technique that uh, was made famous a little over a decade ago, and it's called gaslighting. 
And if you've ever heard of it, if a person is a highly narcissistic person, they, they use this technique to, to manipulate people, to lie about people. And, and basically, they lie about an event to make you think that the event never happened. Or the event that you know happened, oh no, it happened in a very different way than what you know it to have happened. And I'm going to tell you how it actually happened. And if you've ever seen this, it was taken from a movie in the 1940s where a man was literally trying to drive his wife insane by doing that and telling her that things that were happening really weren't happening. And if you've ever experienced this, it's a very disturbing thing. And it's a very sadistic thing. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. That's what the religious leaders were trying to do. They were trying to gaslight the people because they believed they were smarter than everybody else. But you know what? You can fool people for a while, but you can't fool God. Eventually, those things come out and the truth is known. I remember a story years ago. I was a teenager and I was working on this set for a production we were doing and there was a bunch of us there and there was adults and teenagers working on it and there was a fellow who was kind of the boss heading it up and uh, he told me and one of the other adults, he says, I want you guys to go down, there's a certain set piece, I want you guys to figure out how to make this thing, okay? So we went down in the shop and we're talking about it and I said, well, I, I think we should probably do this. And, and the adult with me, he says, no, he says, we need to do it, this is the way to do it. I said, well, that's fine. We can do it your way. And so we did it his way, and we took it back upstairs, and we're trying to make it fit, and it's just not working. And the boss comes by, and he looks at it, and he says, guys, uh, yeah, you're going to have to figure out something else. This isn't working. And I'll never forget it. The man, he turns to me, and he says, I told you we should have did it my way. And I looked at him, and I said, we did do it your way. <laughs> That's a perfect example of kind of how the Pharisees operated. Uh, they would try to deceive people. They would try to manipulate things so that they could keep all the power to themselves. And they would leave the people under their control. And they wanted to deny this happened, but it couldn't. They wanted to tell this, that the man was never healed. He was pretending. They wanted to do all these things, but they couldn't because he was right in front of them. Oh, how foolish and ridiculous sometimes people are who want to deceive. In verse 18, we see that the religious leaders who have convened now, they've got a solution to this. And they come out and they call them. They call Peter and John and command them to not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. Uh, so when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of the healing was shown. So the religious leaders threaten Peter and John. They say, there's nothing we can do to punish you, but don't you dare talk about Jesus anymore. <laughs> and the disciples look and they say, well, <laughs> we have to talk about Jesus. 
Imagine if someone came to you in power and threatened you and said, never again are you to mention the name of Jesus. How would you react? Romans 13 tells us that we need to respect authority and respect uh, the laws of government as long as they don't interfere with the law of God. And that's what John and Peter said, the law of God is first. And when anything interferes with that, we're, don't sign us up for that. We're going to continue to speak. We're going to continue to teach. How can we stop telling people what we've seen all these years? Three and a half years, the disciples were with Jesus. They saw the miracles. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him feed the 5,000. Uh, Peter, you remember when Jesus walked on water. Oh, they saw the miracles. My mom and dad every year would go to Myrtle Beach and on their way, on their trip, they would go through Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you've ever driven through a large city, especially Charlotte, because there's a lot of racing fans, people drive crazy. And as they're driving through there, all of a sudden, a sports car comes in the left-hand lane and passes them. And they said, we didn't even see it until it was by us. And my dad, who used to drag race, he said, I think that thing was going 100, 120 miles an hour. He said, it was unbelievable. And a car in front of them, a van in front of them, was turning into that lane, and that sports car hit that van and literally went airborne right in front of them. Pieces of the car was falling back on them. And I remember them saying over and over, and as they drove up, they could see the man in the van. He was... He, he was shaken, but he seemed like he wasn't seriously injured. They never knew what happened to the other man. But I remember over and over they said, it went airborne. It was like something out of the movies. You couldn't believe it. It had such an impact on them. Now, someone could come along and that wasn't there and say, well, I don't know that it, it really went airborne. Yes, it did because they were there. They witnessed it. They were right in front of it. The very pieces of that car were coming and raining down on them. They saw it with their own eyes. And that's what Peter and John is saying. We saw the miracles with our own eyes. There's no way that we can stop talking about Jesus and what he did. We're going to continue to talk about him. Thousands of people personally witnessed the miracles of Jesus. And they weren't all wrong. Acts Chapter 1, 2, and 3, as we close, says, Until the day in which he was taking up, taken up, Jesus. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles, which he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after this passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Over 500 people saw the risen Christ. The disciples were with him for some 40 days. They saw the truth, the resurrection. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the Sadducees, they had to release the disciples because they couldn't do anything with them. Because all the people had seen with their own eyes this miracle that had happened. You know, in your life when a difficult situation comes, understand one thing. That you have a power within you. Same power we see uh, on display here. We need to rely on God's power. Because even in the most difficult times, 
even when it seems like everything's against us, he can give us the words to say. He'll give us the strength to get through the day. And he'll give us the power to overcome the challenge in front of us. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you, God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the power that you have given us. Lord, that when you left this world, Lord, you left us with your Holy Spirit. A power that, Lord, we see on display with the disciples. A power that we have seen in our own lives. A power that, Lord, we can't explain. A power that is there for us as believers. Lord, may we know that whatever it is in our lives, whatever we face, that, Lord, you're there. And as we face it, God, we don't face it alone. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never accepted you, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has spoke to you today through his word. You know, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face in life, I want you to know that through the one, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross of Calvary, he shed his perfect blood for you and for me. And if you pray right now and ask Jesus into your heart, the message that you heard today, why God is speaking to you, I want you to know that you can have hope. And all you have to do is pray with me right now. Don't try and figure it out. The Lord says by faith, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and you'll have hope for eternity. You say, Dallas, will you help me? What do I have to do? Well, let me share with you a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're willing to believe that God sent his son to die on the cross for you, just pray this prayer with me right now. And you can have heaven as your home. Jesus will forgive you for anything you've done in this life. And you can have hope from this day forward. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I believe that you're God's son. And you came and lived a perfect life. And you died on the cross. And you shed your perfect blood for all of my sin. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me for all of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And from this day forward, help me to live by your resurrection power. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer, we want to hear from you. Contact us through our website, City Church AC, or you can get at our church app through any of the um, streaming services, and we want you to know that we'll contact you. And from this day forward, no matter what you face, you'll always have hope knowing that Jesus is your Savior and he'll come through in your life. Thank you for being with us today.